on the way he thought about Petit Mickey, who was at the other end of the metro system, and who knows how long it would take to get there. How many transfers crossing through how many station connections, no stations, you'd have to go. Lying sometimes, fighting sometimes. Other times getting through thanks to connections. And this guy says casually. They make it at Patch at Nikki too. Yes. He's an interesting character. Even if a little scary. His his grip squeezes like a vice and it Artyom wasn't a weakling. He was always eager to compare strength with a good handshake. Having boiled the kettle, he returned to the tent. Hunter had already thrown off his raincoat under which you could see a black pillow neck jumper tightly filled with a powerful neck and a balding strong body and military trousers drawn tight with an officer's belt. On top of the polo neck, he was wearing a vest with lots of pockets and a holster hung under his arm containing a burnished pistol of monstrous size. Upon closer inspection, Artyom could see that it was at Stetchkin with a long silencer and it had something attached to it, which, by the looks of it, was a laser sight. A monster like that would cost you all you had. The weapon, Artyom noted immediately, was not a simple one. Not for self-defense, that was for sure. And then he remembered that when Hunter introduced himself, he added, as in someone who hunts. So Artyom, pour, pour the visitor some tea. Yes, and you, Hunter, take a seat. Tell us how you are. Sequoy was excited. Devil knows how long it's been since I last saw you. I'll tell you about myself later. There's not much to say. But strange things are going on with you, I hear. Goblins are crawling around, coming from the north. Today I was listening to fairy stories while standing with the patrol. What's up? Hunter spoke in brief, choppy phrases. It's Death Hunter. Sequoia's mode suddenly darkened. It's our death stilling up from the future. Our fate is creeping in. That's what it is. Why death? I heard that you crushed them very successfully, but they're disarmed. Well, where are they from and who are they? I've never heard anything like this at any of the other stations. Never. And that means that it isn't happening anywhere else. I want to know what's up. I'm sensing a great danger. I want to know the level of danger. I want to understand its nature. That's why I'm here. Danger should be liquidated, right, Hunter? You're still a cowboy, Hunter. 
But, can danger be liquidated? That's the question. Sequoia grinned sadly. That's the hitch. Everything here is more complicated than it seems to you. A lot more complicated. This is not just zombies and corpses walking across cinema screens. That's too simple. You load a revolver with silver bullets. Sequoia demonstrated by putting his palms together and pretending to point a pistol as he continued. Pow, pow. And the forces of evil are slain. But this is something different. Something frightening. And as you well know, it's hard to scare me. You're panicking, Hunter asked, surprised. Their main weapon is horror. The people are barely maintaining their positions. People are sleeping with magazine machine guns and Uzis. And, and they're coming at us unarmed. And everybody knows that there's a higher quality and quantity of them still to come. They're almost running away, going crazy from the horror of it. Some have already gone crazy between you and me. And this isn't just fear, Hunter. Sequoia lowered his voice. This? I don't even know how to explain it to you plainly. It gets stronger every time. They're getting into our heads somehow. And it seems to me that they're doing it on purpose. You can sense them from afar and the feelings get stronger and stronger. And the agitation is so vile that your knees start to shake. And you can't, you, you, and you can't hear anything yet. You can't see anything. But you already know that they're coming nearer, nearer. And then there's a howl. And you just want to run. But they're coming closer. And you're starting to shake. And a while later... You can see them walking with open eyes into the searchlights. RDM shuddered. It seemed that he wasn't the only one tormented by nightmares. He used to try not to talk about it at, to anyone. Before, he was afraid that they would take him for a coward or for a lunatic. They're crippling our minds, the reptiles, Sequoia continued, and you know, it is like they adjust themselves to your wavelength, and the next time they come, you feel them even more strongly, and you even, and you're even more afraid, and this isn't just fear, I can tell you. He went silent. Hunter was sitting there without moving, studying him, apparently thinking over what he'd heard. Then he took a mouthful of hot brew and spoke slowly and quietly. This is a threat to everybody, Sequoia. To the whole filthy metro, not just to your station. Sequoia was silent as though he didn't want to reply, but suddenly he burst out. The whole metro, you think? No. Not just the metro. This is a threat to the pr progress of mankind, which got itself into trouble with its progress already. It's time to pay. 
It's a battle of species. Hunter, a battle of species. And these dark ones are not evil spirits. They aren't some kind of ghoul. This is Homo Novus, the next stage of evolution. Better adapted to the environment than us. The future is behind them, Hunter. Maybe Homo sapiens will rot for another couple of decades or for another 50 of these demonic holes that we've dug for ourselves. Back when there was plenty and not everyone could fit above ground, so the poor folks were driven underground in the daytime. We will become as pale and sick as well as wells. More locks. Remember them? From the time machine where beasts of the future lived underground? They too were once homo sapiens. Yes, we are optimistic. We don't want to die. We will cultivate mushrooms with our own dung and the pigs will become man's best friend, as they say, and our partner in survival. And we will guzzle multivitamins with an appetizing crunch that were prepared by our careful ancestors in the tones. We will shyly crawl up to the surface to quickly steal another canister of petrol, a few more rags, and if you're really lucky, a handful of cartridges, only to note it, only to quickly run back down into the stuffy vaults, looking shiftily around like thieves to see if anyone noticed, because we aren't at home there on the surface anymore. The world doesn't belong to us anymore, Hunter. The, the world doesn't belong to us anymore. Sukhoi fell silent, looking at the steam slowly rise from his cup of tea and con- condensing in the twilight of the tent. Hunter said nothing, and Artyom suddenly realized that he had never heard anything like it from his stepfather. There was nothing left of his former confidence in the fact that everything would necessarily be fine. Nothing left of his don't panic, we'll get through it, and nothing left of his encouraging winks, or was that just all for show? You don't have anything to say, Hunter? Nothing. Go on. Contradict me. Where are your arguments? Where is that optimism of yours? Last time when I spoke to you, you were certain that the levels of radiation would lower and people could return to the surface again. Hey, Hunter. The sun will rise over the woods, but just not for me. Sukhoi sang in a teasing voice. We'll seize life with our teeth. We will hold onto it with all our strength. But what would the philosopher have said and the sectarians confirmed if there was suddenly nothing to grab? 
You don't want to believe it, can't believe it, but somewhere in the depths of your soul you know that's how it is. But we like this whole business, Hunter, don't we? Me and you, we really love living. We will crawl through the stinking underground, sleep in an embrace with pigs, eat rats, but we will survive, right? Wake up, Hunter. No, no one will write a book about you called The Story of a Real Person. No one will sing about your will to live, your hypertrophic instinct for self-preservation. How long will you last on mushrooms, multivitamins, and pork? Surrender, homo sapiens. You are no longer the king of nature. You've been dethroned. No, you don't have to die instantly. Nobody will insist on that. Crawl on a little bit more in agony, choking on your own excrement. But know this, homo sapiens. You are obsolete. Evolution, the laws of which you understood, has already created its new branch and you are no longer the latest stage. The crown of creation, you are a dinosaur. Now you must step aside for a new, more perfect species. No need to be egotistic. egotistical. Game over. It's time you let others play. Your time is up. You are extinct. And let future generations rack their brains over the question of what made Homo sapiens extinct. Though, I doubt anyone will be interested. Hunter, who was studying his fingernails through this monologue raised his eyes to Sequoia and said gravely, You have really given up on everything since I last saw saw you. Saw you. I remember that you were telling me that if we preserve culture, if we don't turn sour, if we don't stop using proper Russian, if our children learn to read and write, then we'll be fine and we'll last here underground. Didn't you say all that, or was it it you? And now look at you, surrender, homo sapiens? What's, what the hell is that? Yeah, well, I just figured out a thing or two, Hunter. I have felt something which you have yet to get. And maybe you'll never get it. We are dinosaurs, and we are living the last days of our life. It might take, it might take ten or even a hundred years, but all the same. Resistance is futile, right? Hunter offered in a mean voice. What are you driving at? Sequoia went silent, his eyes downcast. Clearly, this had cost him a lot, having never admitted his weaknesses to anybody or said such a thing to an old friend. Even worse, that it was in front of Artyom. It was painful to him to hold up a white flag. But no, you won't wait. 
Hunter slowly said, standing up to full height, and they won't wait. New species, you say? Evolution? Inevitable extinction? Dang. Pigs? Vitamins? I'm not there yet. I'm not afraid of it either. Got it? I am not putting my hand up to volunteer. The instinct of self-preservation. You call it that. Yes, I will sink my teeth into life. Fuck your evolution, but other species wait their turn. I'm not a lamb being led to it to slaughter. Capitulate and go off with your more perfect and more adapt adapted beings. Give them your place in it. Give them your place in history. If you feel that you fought all you can fight, then go ahead and desert. I won't judge you, but don't try to scare me, and don't try to drag me along with you into the slaughterhouse. Why are you giving me a sermon? If you don't do it alone, if you need to do it collectively, you won't be so ashamed. Or has the enemy promised you a bowl of hot porridge for each person that you bring to them in captivity? My fight is hopeless. You say that we're at the edge of the abyss. I spit on your abyss. If you think that your place is at the bottom of the abyss, then take a deep breath and forward march. But I'm not coming for the ride. I'm rash I'm if rational man, refined and civilized, homo sapiens, choose to capitulate, then I refuse to be called one and would rather become a beast. And I will, like a beast, sink my teeth into life and gnaw on the throats of others in order to survive. And I will su survive. Got it? I will survive. He sat down and quietly asked Artyom for another splash of tea. Sequoia stood up, up himself and went to fill the heat and kettle. Gloomily and silently, Artyom stayed in the tent alone with Hunter. His last words were ringing with contempt. His malicious confidence that he would survive lit a fire in Artyom. For a long time, he was trying to decide whether to say something. And then Hunter turned to him and said, And what do you think, of my friend? Tell me, don't be shy. You want to turn into vegetation too, like a dinosaur? To sit on your things and wait until someone comes for you? Do you know the parable about the frog in the cream? Two frogs landed in a pail of cream. One thinking rationally understood straight away that there was no point in resisting and that you couldn't deceive destiny. But then, what if there's an afterlife? Why bother jumping around, entertaining false hopes in vain? He crossed his legs and sank to the bottom. The second, the fool, was probably an atheist, 
and he started to flop around. It would seem that she had no reason to flail about if everything was protesting. But she flopped around and flopped around anyway. Meanwhile, the cream turned into butter and she crawled out. We honor the memory of this second frog's friend eternally damned for the sake of progress and rational thought. Who are you? Artyom ventured at last. Who am I? You already know who I am. The one who hunts. But what does that mean? The one who hunts. What do you do? Hunt? How can I explain it to you? You know how the human body is built. It's made up of millions of tiny cells. Some emit electrical signals, others store information, others still soak up nutrients and transfer oxygen. But all of them, even the most important among them, would be dead in less than a day. And the whole organism would die if it wasn't for cells responsible for immunity. They're called microphages. They're called microphages. They work methodically and regularly like a clock, a metronome. When an infection gets into an organism, they find it, track it down, wherever it's hiding, and sooner or later, they get to it, and he made a gesture as though he was wringing someone's neck and let out an unpleasant crunching sound, liquidated. But what relevance does that have to your job, Artyom insisted. Imagine that the whole metro was a human organism, a complex organism made of of about 40,000 cells. I am the microphage, the hunter. This is my job. Any danger that is sufficiently serious as to threaten the whole organism must be liquidated. That's what I do. Sequoia finally came back with the kettle and poured the boiling brew into the mugs. He had obviously gathered his thoughts in the, the meantime, and he said to Hunter, So you're going to take on the liquidation of the source of danger, cowboy? You're going to go hunting and shoot down all the dark ones. It's hardly possible that anything will come of it. There's nothing to be done, Hunter. Nothing. There's, there is always one last option. The last resort. To blow your northern tunnel to pieces, collapse it completely, to cut off that new species of yours. Let them procreate from above and leave us moles alone. The underground is now our natural habitat. I'll tell you something interesting. Only a few people know about this at the station. They've already blown up one tunnel, but above, but above us, above the northern tunnel, there is a stream of groundwater 
and when they blow up the second northern tunnel, were almost flooded. If the explosion had been just a bit stronger. Goodbye, my dear VDKNKH. So, if we now blow up the remaining northern tunnel, then we'll be flooded. We'll be covered in radioactive swill. That will. Then, that will be the end. Not only for us. Therein lies the real danger in the metro. If you start an interspecies battle now, and in this way, then our species will lose. As they say in chess. Check. What about the hermetic gate? Surely we could simply close the hermetic gate in that tunnel, Hunter said. The hermetic gate was already dismantled along with the rest of the lion's gates 15 years ago by some s smart guys and they sent the material to fortify one of the stations. No one remembers which one anymore. Surely you know about this. There you go. Check again. Tell me, have you, have they increased their present no, their pressure recently. Hunter, it seems, was conceding and shifting the conversation to another tack. Increasing, and how? It's hard to believe that it was only a little while ago that we didn't know they existed, and now here they are, a major threat. And believe me, the day is near when they will sweep us away with all of our fortifications, searchlights, and machine guns. It's impossible to raise the whole metro to defend one good-for-nothing station. Yes, we make pretty good tea, but it's unlikely that anyone will risk their life even for such excellent tea as ours. In the end, there's always competition with Pachetniki. Check again. Sequoia grinned sadly. No one needs us. We ourselves will soon not be in any condition to handle the onslaught. We can't blow up the tunnel and cut them off. We also don't have the means to go to the surface and burn them down for obvious reasons. Checkmate. Checkmate to you, Hunter. And checkmate to me. Checkmate to all of us in the near future. If you see what I mean, Sequoia grinned sourly. We'll see, Hunter. Snap back. We'll see. They sat there, they sat there a little longer discussing all kinds of things. Many of the names mentioned weren't familiar to Artyom. There were references to bits and pieces of stories. Every once in a while an old argument would spark up, of which Artyom understood little, but their discussion had clearly been going on for years debating if men hadn't seen each other in a while and flaring up again when they met. 
Finally, Hunter stood up and said it was time he went to bed because he, unlike Artyom, hadn't slept since his patrol. He said goodbye to Sequoi, but before leaving, he suddenly turned to Artyom and whispered to him, Come out for a minute. Artyom jumped up straight, straight away and followed him, not paying attention to the surprised look on his stepfather's face. Hunter waited for him outside, silently, buttoning up his raincoat and lifting the latch of the gate. Shall we go through? He suggested, and he quickly stepped forward into the platform towards the guest tent where he was staying. Artyom hesitantly moved to follow him, trying to guess what this man wanted to discuss with him. A mere boy, really, who had done nothing significant or even useful for anyone so far. What do you think about the job that I do? Hunter asked. It's cool. I mean, if it wasn't for you, well, and the others like you, if there are such people, then we would have... We would have long ago, Artyom mumbled uncomfortably. This tongue was twisted and he felt hot suddenly. As soon as someone like Hunter paid him attention and wanted to tell him something, even just asking him to come outside for a minute, to be alone without his stepfather, he blushed like a virgin and started agonizing, bleeding like a lamb. You think highly of it? Well then, if people think highly of it, Hunter grinned, that means there's no point in listening to the defeatist among us. Your stepfather is being a coward, that's all. But he's really a brave man. In any case, he was once. Something horrific is happening here, Artyom. Something that can't be allowed to continue. Your stepfather's right. These aren't just the goblins we've seen at dozens of our stations. These aren't vandals. They're not just degenerates. This is something new. Something meaner. There's a chill in the air. There's death in the air. I've only been here two days and I, I am already being penetrated by the fear here. And the more you know about them, the more you study them, and the more you see them, the stronger the fear as far as I understand. You, for example, have you seen them often? Only once so far. I've only just started on the Northern Patrol, though, Ardium confessed. But, if I'm honest, once was enough. I've been tortured by nightmares ever since. Like today, for example. And it was a while ago that I saw them. Nightmares, you say? You too, Hunter frowned. Yes, it doesn't look like a coincidence. And if I live here a bit longer, another couple of months, and go on patrol regularly, then it's not out of the question that I'll turn sour too. No, my lad, 
your stepfather is mistaken. It isn't him speaking. It's not his thinking. It's them thinking for him. And it's them speaking for him. Give up, they say. Resistance is futile. And he's their mouthpiece. And he probably doesn't even know it himself. And it's right, I guess, that they tune in and impress themselves on the psych. Fiends, tell me. Artyom. Hunter. Hunter turned to him straight on. And the boy understood. He was about to tell him something really important. Do you have a secret? Something that you wouldn't tell anyone on the station, but that you could tell a passerby, perhaps? Well, Artyom hesitated, and for a perceptive person, that would have been enough in order to understand that such a secret existed. And I have a secret, too. Why don't we swap? I need to share this secret with someone, but I want to be sure that they won't blab. That's why you give me yours, and I don't let it be any crap about a girl. And don't let it be any crap about a girl, but something serious. Something that no one else should ever hear, and I'll tell you something. This is important to me, very important, you understand? Artyom wavered. Curious curiosity, of course, had got him, but he was frightened of telling his secret to a man who was not only interested to talk to, interesting to talk to, and who had seen many adventures, but by the looks of things was also a cold-blooded murderer who wouldn't hesitate in the slightest to remove any obstacle in his past path. And what if Artyom happened to have been an accessory to the occursion of the Dark Ones? Hunter looked into his eyes reassuringly. You have nothing to be afraid of in me. I guarantee inviolability. And he winked fraternally. They had walked up to the guest tent and had been given that had been given to Hunter for the night, but they remained outside.